It's been described far and wide as a game changer. And given what we saw at the brand new Bankwest Stadium yesterday afternoon as we record this on Tuesday morning in Sydney. Hi everybody, it is Warren Smith and Matt Russell without Lara Pitt this week who's on assignment with the League Life uh, ladies getting ready for a big show this week. But uh, Matty, at Bankwest Stadium yesterday the Eels thrashed the Tigers. I mean it was unbelievable the way it panned out and what a party it turned into for the Parramatta fans but Back to my original point about it being a game changer. It certainly is as far as the Eels are concerned and anybody else who would care to call it their home ground. And for my way of thinking, I don't know why the Tigers wouldn't move all their home games, I guess not this year, but maybe 2020 onwards to Bankwest Stadium. I think it's also it's a game changer for those clubs who will play there. I think it's a game changer for the teams who can't play there. I think it's a game changer for the Seagulls. I think it's a game changer for the Sharks. If the Tigers don't go there, it's a game changer for them. What about the Bulldogs also? It's a game changer in lots of ways, this brand new stadium. Hello to you, Was. I couldn't agree more. I don't often get the chance to sit on the lounge with a couple of cold ones and just enjoy watching a game of league like I did yesterday, uh, watching Parramatta unveil Bankwest Stadium along with West Tigers, obviously. But wasn't the atmosphere great? It seeped through the television at you. The shots from the Fox Copter down over the new stadium, outstanding. And what about the game? 51-6. Remarkably, the first 51-6 scoreline in the history of the league. Back to 1908, which I can't believe, but there it is. Cold, hard fact. 51-6 for the first time. Mitch Moses shining. And the good news for the league, or for Parramatta fans, is they still have eight more games at this new jewel in the crown and some big ones coming up. St George, Illawarra, South Sydney, Brisbane, Penrith, all there over the next four to six weeks. So uh, plenty for Eels fans to be excited by, not just the new stadium, but the fact they look at the ladder and see that they are there in the top eight. Unlike you, watched it on the TV yesterday. I thought a rare day off to to sit back and and take a look at the footy without having to go to a stadium somewhere. So we sat down and watched it. Uh, Cracking conditions, glorious weather over the entire Easter break here in Sydney and it seemed to be that way around the countryside as well. Even in Auckland, where I called the uh, the Warriors and the Cowboys over there, great afternoon as well in Auckland uh, on Saturday. So um, it was great Easter weather and you, you wouldn't expect anything less than a full house for a brand new stadium and opening up and you know, to put on 51 points, it was just remarkable. And we'll wait and see what it does for the attendance for the Eels beyond this match. Um, The next game is the Dragons on the Sunday afternoon uh, in round eight. And then in round 11, they've got a Thursday night game against the Panthers. Now, ordinarily, a Thursday night game would be a tough draw, but it's a local derby. Uh, You'd think plenty of Panthers fans would like to go down and see this brand new stadium uh, for the first time as well. Um, You'd think, you, you know, I can see how they would at least average... 20 plus thousand fans for the rest of this. It would be a, a surprise if they don't average 20,000 plus beyond you know, the, between here and the end of 2019. And the reason that's exciting for everyone, including commentators, was is because crowd is such an important part of our toolbox to ride the atmosphere within the stadium. If you walk into a 6,000-seat stadium and there are 5,500 there, beauty. If you walk into an 80,000-seat stadium and there are 25,000 there, you know it's going to be harder work. So I hope the average is 20,000 at Parramatta Stadium or Bank West Stadium, as I should learn to call it. I'm looking forward to going there. I'm sideline when the Eels uh, host the Dragons. That'll be my first look at it. But, yeah, yesterday from home I thought, wow, 
What a great addition. What about those teams who are now on the outside looking in? If, say, my point about the Tigers, would you move your home games there, holeless bowlers in 2020 and beyond and, and, and say, I know we've got um, emotional footprints in Leichhardt and the Balmain area and obviously in the southwest of Sydney um, at Campbelltown Stadium and all the suburbs and all the football teams in that catchment area around there as well. But... You know, it's a big lure. All those corporate suites, the facility that it is and what it could bring to your team because if you decide to stay, they will play some games there, obviously the Tigers at Bankwest Stadium, but I would go and move all my 12 home games there, all the all the home games I play in this city to Bankwest from next year onwards because I just I don't think you can turn your back on the corporate facilities and what that would mean financially to the club. I wouldn't move all my home games there. No, I'd play some still at Leichhardt. I'd play some still at Campbelltown. I'd be happy How many? Uh, two each at two, those venues yeah. and then the rest at Bankwest Stadium. But the same could go for the Dogs who could play a couple of games at Belmore, the right games at the right slot. Same maybe for the Penrith Panthers. The Panthers have got a, a stadium not too far from Bankwest. Uh, but I would not be going purely to Bankwest. I'd be going there in bulk and keeping the suburban grounds for the right games in the right slot. Well, we'll see what it uh, pans out for the Tigers uh, as far as that's concerned and maybe the Bulldogs as well. I know they've got a, probably a long-term deal or a deal at uh, ANZ Stadium. Likewise, the Rabbitohs. The Rabbitohs aren't going to make that extra step and move to the Bankwest Stadium. But, you know, the Tigers for mine, uh, I know there's, it's a Parramatta Territory. Mm. Um, you've got the Leeds Club right next door. So if you're drawing fans to Parramatta's Leeds Club, you're helping them out in a in a, not a so obtuse way. But um, it's a big lure. Right? Well, let me ask you: This was will Bank West Stadium be Parramatta's home ground, shared by other clubs, or will it be a Western Sydney sports stadium? Well, Can the- Parramatta? make ownership or claim ownership of this new venue. <laughs> the Tigers were trying to make the point in the lead-up to the game that, hey, this isn't your home ground exclusively. Like We're going to be playing here and other teams will take games there, but the Tigers are going to play a bunch of games there and they've said, hey, hang on a second, don't just paint this blue and gold and think that's it forever. Um, but after yesterday... Well, you know, you can make up whatever story you like, but, you know, when you get beaten by 50, you get 50 points put on you in the first game, mm. well, you've got a bit of, bit of proving to do that to say that you've got any sort of ownership structure uh, around this new well, building, don't you? I go back to, you know, a parenting story. We've got some friends who christened a child Lachlan and said it's, he's going to be Lachlan. He's going to be Lachlan. Well, no, sorry, now all his friends call him Lockie. Mum and Dad, you, you, you wanted A, but... The world says you get B. Now, I wonder whether the same might apply for this stadium. You know, it's going to be one for all of us, but maybe just the way it works that it will be Parramatta's home ground shared by other clubs. Only time will tell. If you're the Seagulls and the Sharks and teams who are playing out of stadiums, which aren't up to scratch, let's be honest, it's 2019. Uh, the days, I've been saying this for years and years, and um, I have my critics who don't think, it, you know, they, they love their suburban footy and the chance to go and sit on the hill in the sunshine on a Sunday afternoon, ignoring the fact that we play games from Thursday night all the way through to Sunday afternoon, and the vast majority of games are held at night time during the middle of winter, where it's cold and the grass is, grass is cold and wet and muddy at times. I, you know, I, I just, Grass Hills should, should have gone out with straw hats and, <laughs> and ties. Like people aren't wearing ties anymore. There's a change in, in fashion. Uh, you know. Well, come on, you dirty old perv. You're an admitted uh, <laughs> turf perv. Yes, what do you I'll... make of the turf, albeit from the distance of your television screen yesterday? Oh, well, it looked 
tremendous, and it should be tremendous. We are talking about it on the, on the podcast uh, just last week about the condition of the stadium and how good the grass will be. And There wasn't a blemish. No, well, it, it, it almost looked fake. New. Yeah, well, it did look that good that it might have been <laughs> fake. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I, you couldn't fault it from – and I can't wait. I'll probably go there. I'm not calling um, at this day. I'm not calling the, the game against the Dragons. You, you're there on the sideline, but um, – I'll bring you back some turf. Why well, you going to have a close-up look just, at it? I think I'll just lob out. I think I'll just take maybe the family out and just experience it as a family to report back on yeah. what it's like. And from all reports, food prices are reasonable – uh, given how exorbitant things can be if you go to the, the footy or the movies or any sort of entertainment these days. You can go and see a big show at the State Theatre or something and you know everything's twice the price that it normally is. So uh, but from all reports, um, it's hard to find fault with what we saw there yesterday. And what do you make of the actual game yesterday was? Parramatta, 51 points to six. Plenty of people might have seen Parramatta winning, but not by that scoreline. Well, I thought it was going to be tough maybe for Parramatta without Blake Ferguson. I thought this was a really tight game and I, you know, I could see it going down to the last five minutes and teams' scores being locked or not much being in the game. But the Tigers were just off the pace. They looked like a team that was tired at kickoff. And uh, admittedly, scores were level through the first 15 minutes. But in the ensuing 15 minutes, the Eels put on 30 points, five tries. And um, a couple of them... A couple of them were embarrassing for the Tigers. Uh, a couple of kicks that went dead. Um, the first try scored off a, a quick tap at the mm. 20. Uh, Clint Gutherson races 15 metres, links up with Mitch Moses, who goes the rest of the way. And, you know, any time in this day and age at the NRL level and you're giving up a try like that, it means, you, you know, things broke down really badly. And part of that breaking down of the system is who's kicking the ball, in what situation... Who's kicking it dead? Why aren't the main playmakers looking after those duties? Why are back rowers putting in ad-lib kicks at the end of sets of six, putting it dead, and suddenly the team's under pressure and conceding points off the back of it? I think, I think there are greater issues um, longer term with the Tigers than just the scoreline yesterday. I think there are, you know, Luke, Luke Brooks, you know, burst onto the scene and we've, I guess, I think everybody is still waiting to see Luke Brooks do what, you know, all the potential he was stamped with at the beginning of his career. And at times he's shown it, and at times he can be very good. There are other times he can be a bit quiet. Now, maybe the forward pack, obviously, yesterday just didn't aim up and, and were beaten by the Eels and they couldn't get their hands on the ball. Lots of things combine and contribute to a halfback, you know, not looking the best at times in the NRL, but... I think uh, I think Michael Maguire's got to do some hard. Th- obviously, you know Luke Brooks is his halfback. There's no changes yeah. being made there. Nothing's happening, but they've got to find a way to get the best out of Luke Brooks. And and I think that is one of Michael Maguire's biggest tasks at the moment in 2019. You mentioned Parramatta. They were missing Blake Ferguson. They lost Daniel Alvaro. Now I know West Tigers ran into some injury problems as well, but not to excuse 51-6. And uh, they have Benji Marshall waiting in the wings and they have an important trip to Tamworth this weekend against Gold Coast. And if I can skip over to the Gold Coast, was that's where I was um, on Easter Sunday. And little story from the travels. Uh, before the game, there was a game of touch football. And before that game of touch, there was a game of veterans touch football featuring some uh, high-profile names from the past, including one Kevin Gordon, who with David Mead was nip and tuck in terms of leading the try scoring for Gold Coast before they were both passed by Anthony Don. Well, Kev played in that celebrity touch game for want of a better description. He turns up, wait for this, he Mm -hmm. turns up to the ground on a skateboard (laughs) 
with waist length bleached hair. Wow. Down to his tailbone. Uh, with a pink umbrella, wearing a leopard skin jacket <laughs> with no shirt underneath. It's just fancy dress day? Uh, I don't know what world Kevin is living in at the moment, but good luck to him. He feels liberated and free enough to rock up with a pink umbrella on a skateboard and leopard skin jacket, to having dabbled in acting overseas and now mixing his own music online. Kevin Gordon has gone on for an interesting post-game life. Was he the halftime entertainer? Did he do <laughs> could have a, been. Oh, it sounds like he's dressed up as David Lead Roth. Well, well, long after the game was done, he was still on the field grubbering to kids and having the time of his life. And, uh, yeah, good luck to Kev. He uh, doesn't fit that uh, stereotype for rugby league players in retirement. He wasn't building out California girls or no. you know, Jump or Panama no. or you know, <laughs> something. It's exactly the description that you you think of when you hear that uh, way he turned up. But when we got to the main game, a bit like Parramatta, Gold Coast, uh, they lost Keegan Hipgrave in the morning uh, to, to a problem. Then they lose in the warm-up Kevin Proctor. Then they lose Ryan James probably for the season with that knee injury. Uh, there was another complication as well, yet they... Beat Newcastle 38-14. Newcastle literally gifted Gold Coast that game. Three of the first four tries to the Titans came directly from Newcastle errors. Not in the subsequent sets, in the seconds afterwards. Newcastle put it down, Gold Coast run away, and most concerningly for the Knights was the observations of my, my experts, Michael Ennis and Justin Hodges, saying it looks like Newcastle don't want to be there. There's no urgency, there's no intent. During the warm-up, they looked ready to go. If you judged the game on the warm-ups, you'd say, wow, Newcastle are going to do a job today. As soon as kickoff came, they were nowhere to be spotted. So Nathan Brown, you go back to that game I mentioned um, uh, uh, this weekend coming up for the Knights. It's huge on Sunday against Parramatta. They're back home, one at McDonald Jones Stadium, and uh, wow, in front of a, a hunter crowd that will expect the Knights to answer, isn't there much hinging on that game? There is, and you're going to be there uh, on the sideline soaking up the atmosphere on Fox League, and the mood will be intriguing for that game because at some point, despite the you know all the expectations and the feeling that the Knights, this was the year they were going to re-emerge as a contender, or maybe not a contender for the title, but certainly a team that would make the top eight or be thereabouts and make the finals again and you know build towards something over the next couple of seasons with Kayla Ponga and Kaylin Ponga and Mitchell Pearce as the centrepiece of that, you know, that action. But, geez, things have turned around and turned ugly pretty quickly for Nathan Brown. And every loss, you know, just brings out more stories, more stories about the pressure and, you know, how safe is his job. We know he's on this open-ended contract and anything could happen at any stage in regards to it. Now, we've been the campaigners for crestfallen coaches, Was Let me ask you here, are the Knights playing for Nathan Brown's coaching future this weekend? Well, if we get behind Nathan Brown, given our recent track record, he's safe because yep. we campaigned last year for Dean Pay and early this year he got re-signed. We campaigned off the back of two straight losses for St George Illawarra at the beginning of the year. We said the first thing that should happen is forget all the drama about the spine. They should sign... Mary McGregor, and what do you know, three or four weeks later, Mary McGregor gets re-signed for a couple of extra years. So our track record of going into bat for coaches is pretty good. I've got to say, though, at this point in time, I'm not convinced that I'm ready to go into bat for Nathan Brown. I you know, love Brownie. He's a great fella, and I think he's probably you know, a pretty good coach. But at the moment, it's hard to say that whatever is happening up there has got the Knights headed in the right direction. Um and there might be bigger issues at play. They're, they're, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the phrase, 
They've enjoyed their off-season pretty well up there in Newcastle. They've had a pretty good time of it. That was got mentioned, I think, by maybe Ben Eichen and Paul Kent on NRL 360 after the game at, at Bankwest Stadium last night. So um, basically, with you know, saying it without saying it, the boys have had it, you know, they've been on the drink. They've been carrying on too much. They're rock stars in a one-team town, and it's a bit like the story with the Broncos. And while ever you're losing these stories, whether they're real or, un- or not real, They'll get, they'll grow legs, and Anthony Seabold has found that out up there in Brisbane, another one-team town where the, you know, one of the knocks against the players and the the group up there is they're rock stars and they've just enjoyed things too much and haven't really knuckled down to footy. But the moment you win two games in a row, that changes the narrative pretty quickly, as the Dragons found out. So whether it's you know just myth or reality, the playing group. Everybody up there in Newcastle needs to find a solution pretty quickly. Otherwise, it will quickly become untenable. Because here's the stark reality. This is the team, the run-on 13 for the Knights against Gold Coast. Ponga, Lee, Hunt, Ramian, the new buy, Kenny Dow, Watson, Pearce, Clemmer, Levi, Gavitt, Fitzgibbon, Barnett, Glasby, and they have just one win to their name through six rounds. It's a good team on paper. I'll be honest, I'll fly the flag. I had them finishing... Top four you when did. I came up with my preseason predictions. All of a sudden, that looks wildly wrong, was. I was reminded by that by, <laughs> by a listener to this podcast uh, in the last seven days or so who didn't one of the uh, panellists on the show uh, yeah. mention the fact that the Knights were going to finish in the top four? Yes, Matty. Um, that was that, me. That was going to get brought up. It, you know, basically, in situations like this, just nobody is playing to their potential. I mean... I've said this a couple of weeks ago. Like I look at Sean Kenny Dow just to pick out, you know, just pick out a winger. But wingers are an important part of what happens in the game these days. And Blake Ferguson got signed to good money to go from the Roosters to Parramatta for that exact reason, what he brings to the team. And I think you know the proof is in the pudding there with the Eels. They've turned things around. It's not solely because of what Blake Ferguson has done. He didn't play yesterday, but. You know, he's been, I think, just the energy he brings and what he, you know, that semi radra carry from his own end really helps out um, the Eels and they've got going as partly off the back of it. And I don't see that happening for the Newcastle Knights. I don't look at their team and think, oh, the back three have really got it going. They're bringing the ball out, busting tackles. Um, Sean Kenny Dow in that game against the Titans throws a pass. It ends up being, you know, it's the Knights, that's right, the Titans score a, a gift try pretty much. Um, and and it, that's just one example. I mean, I just think in all areas, um, you know, Herman SASA, he got dropped because of what happened up there against the Panthers, a game they should have won, but they lost that one because they conceded a really soft try under the uprights to Isaiah Yo in that game. You could go through all of their performances and Mitchell Pearce isn't playing up to his form. Kalen Ponga probably isn't his best because he spent all season thinking I'm going to be playing 5-8th and now I'm playing back in the fullback role and those combinations aren't quite there and there's lots of reasons why they're not at their best. Yep, and uh, we saw a glimpse of Kalen Ponga's best. There was a 20-minute period in the second half where the Knights started to find some rhythm. I think we said in commentary, where was this from the kickoff? There were a couple of good signs if you're desperately looking for a positive for Newcastle, but they need to take that or those couple of good signs, build on them immensely and roll Parramatta in the final game of round seven. Won't it be a long wait for Newcastle through all the other games, starting Anzac Day uh, until we get to Sunday afternoon? But Anzac Day was. It'll feature a couple of 
red-hot teams, some form teams, but in different games. The Roosters hosting the Dragons, followed by your game, Melbourne against the Warriors. Wasn't it a beauty, the grand final rematch? Uh, tremendous. Hard to believe it would turn out the way it did and the Roosters winning in the fashion they did after leading 20 points to nil and then the Melbourne Storm coming back and then um, Latrell Mitchell, who, you know, centres in the game these days aren't as important to teams as they once were and certainly, you know, if, you're, if you've paid big money and I think the Roosters and now the Eels and the Eels were trying to, you know, ship Michael Jennings off to anybody to try and free up some room in the cap because he's earned overs for a long time now. And if you're paying, you know, most centres in the game, you know, north of $600,000, well, then, you know, that's money not well spent on the salary cap because they're not as important as they once were, the way the game is played, I believe. But when you've got somebody like Latrell Mitchell, he turns that argument on, on, his, mm. on its head on his own because he, he won the game off his own boot with a field goal. But then what he did in the lead-up to the, you know, that 20-0 lead was crazy. That's the try he sets up in the first half where he just makes a brust, two big fends, basketball pass over the top, and they score that try down the left-hand side. I mean, there's nobody, well, maybe, you know, Greg Inglis, you know, <laughs> yeah. funnily enough, on, in the week he retires, uh, Greg Inglis, that, that was a Greg Inglis-type play, wasn't it? And Latrell Mitchell is not the new Greg Inglis. He's the, he's the original Latrell Mitchell. And, you know, if you're going to pay overs, and uh, honestly, if he's on the open market right now, well, it's, you know, it's seven figures. He, he, he would be a million-dollar centre in the game right now. He was dynamic the way he ran the ball and the way that he, he struck the field goal. Uh, it never looked like missing, and the way they constructed it, almost like a card trick. Yeah, clinical. Uh, with, with, of course, Cronk on one side, fooling them all. He even had his hands up. Yes. He sold it beautifully, and, and I just love the way they executed that. And an underrated part of that play, I just want to mention Victor Radley, who continues to fill in in the yeah. only half role for Jake Friend. So he's looking out, selling it yes. to Cooper Cronk, who's out there at 45 degrees behind the play the ball, Instead of going to Cooper Cronk, he has to fire a pass not only just like directly behind him, but a little bit back the other way, more than 180 degrees to hit Latrell Mitchell. And it's a long pass off the ground, fires a bullet which hit Latrell Mitchell on the chest. Mm. I mean, the service couldn't have been any better. It was like the old snap from the centre for the, for the field goal kicker in the NFL, where it hits the, the, the catch of the place, the punter, yeah. you know, the kicker's holder. Uh, right in the hands, and he puts the ball on the ground, and the kicker does the rest. It was just perfect, and it, like that's not an easy play for anybody. And he's not a full-time dummy half. I thought that was, you know, an overlooked part of that whole play. That the service from Vic Radley to Mitchell for that kick was terrific. And we'll talk about the way that that win uh, or the the Roosters' performance in that game sets up Anzac Day later on. But what about we go back to the start of the round when we're talking about dynamic players? Was Latrell Mitchell certainly that? Bronson Sherry's try. You called this one. And, mm. and I heard Gaz beside you saying, there it is. Finally, we get to see. Here it is. Yeah. But it was breathtaking. Well, we'd been waiting, hadn't we, off the back of um, that run where he chased, uh, went past Clint Gutherson in the game against the, uh, the Eels and just burned him. Mm. And Clint Gutherson, I think, at some point after the game when Bronson Sherry scored that try, tweeted out, well, thank goodness he, <laughs> he showed it wasn't just me that the kid really can run. And we've been waiting to see what he could do with the ball in his hands. And he had a couple of chances the week before um, against the Roosters and, and put a couple of balls down in chances where he might have, you know, really shown us what he could do. But when he got the chance the other night off a really good play, uh, 
Kick return. Kennedy links up with, with Dugan. Dugan drawing pass and put Sherry into space. And the moment he got it, I was like, well, we'll find out just how quick he is here. Well, I mean, he's 18 years of age and he just ran past Dallin Wittenia Zalesniak like he was chained to a light post. Yeah. It was scary how quick he went down that right-hand side. He's just such a great mover. Like, I don't know what he runs 100 in, but I'm guessing it's pretty good time. Like He's probably... We've seen some real flyers over the years, haven't we? Um, you know, Martin, Chariots of Fire. Um, you could go go through the, the real super speedsters in the game, but Bronson Sherry, I reckon, would be up there with him. He, he is something to watch in open space when he gets the ball, and it was a great moment. I think the, the whole stadium was just on the edge of their seats when the moment he got, he got the ball, didn't drop it this time as he did in those couple of chances yeah. I mentioned against the Roosters, and he just went whoosh. No, to confront the speedster. DWZ, he confronts him and thinks, I'm going to take you on. Yeah. And I'm going to burn you. Yeah. And I was amazed. Yeah. I, I didn't think he would go around what Denny Zalesniak like he did, but that was out wide up front. Andrew Fafita, huge considering he wasn't right after that hamstring problem, even in the warm-up. He never looks like he, he moves really freely, Andrew, um, in the warm-up. It always looks like there's some sort of niggle, and, and I was second-guessing that hamstring and thinking it's not right. And as the game went on, the uh, Cronulla Sharks admitted to me they didn't know whether he'd get through the warm-up. They were holding their breath he would survive the warm-up. Uh, and he, So he did have a significant problem still. He got through the warm-up, he eased into the game, and he was fantastic in the second half. So, you know, Andrew Fafita to put on a performance like that despite being hindered, a uh, bit, of, bit of ticker and a great resolve for coach John Morrison. As a result, if Andrew Fafita's not out there, they don't win that game. I don't think so. No, I think you're right. He was enormous along with Paul Gallon, both playing uh, well, yeah, another one. well below their best. Um, Gallon coming back from that rib injury, which is still not quite right. There's no risk about that. But, yeah, for Fita to get through the, the hamstring and um, and Craig Bellamy on Bellamy's bunker um, on Thursday night during the coverage on Fox League uh, was full of praise for Andrew Fafita with what he did in that second half. Um, so, that you know, if you're impressing Craig Bellamy, you must be doing something right and uh, it was a big effort. Now, was this weekend I'm calling Dogs v Cowboys and I must admit, Given I was in the gong, I didn't see a lot of your game from Auckland. The Cowboys, how impressive. 17-10 winners. I believe Michael Morgan was instrumental. What did the Cowboys get on the Warren Smith radar out of 10? Uh, 10 being the highest. Yeah, as opposed to the Fletch and Hindy. Um, no, they were, they were definitely an 8 out of 10. Okay. There's no question about that. Um, Josh Maguire was outstanding in game 200. And his NRL career, uh, coincidentally, made his debut for the Broncos back in 2009 against the Warriors. And there he was in game 200 playing against them again. Um, helped out, I guess, um, the Cowboys caused by the fact that Blake Green pulled out with that groin injury he's got at the moment. And I guess he was close, but not close enough. Um, he pulled out the day before, so they knew 24 hours out he wouldn't be playing. And they put Peter Hiku in again at the halfback role. And he only had four touches playing in the halfback position for the opening 40 minutes. Mm. And I'm not going to be critical at all of Peter Hiku because here he is, he's a centre for the most part, filling in in the halfback position. Um, and, it, yeah, it was basically the the Harris DeVita show um, as far as playmaking and options and last play options. And he's, you know, a 20-year-old rookie in game number three of his NRL career. So tough times for the Warriors, but the Cowboys, I thought, were really good with Maguire just... He hit. He made that many big tackles, led the tackle count, I think, with 40 for the game for the Cowboys. And I guarantee 30 of the 40 were inside the 20 important stops on the goal line. And Michael Morgan, I thought, played his best game. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like an out 
outright, you know, starring role where he made bus and put people through holes. But it was, I'll give him this praise, I thought it was like Cooper Cronk would have been really proud of the performance that Michael Morgan put in the other day. Got the team around the paddock exactly as he had to. Put the ball out of play when he had to. He didn't want um, the back three of the Warriors, Mamalu and Fusatua and Roger Tuovasashek on play twos and play threes coming back at them and trying to step through a tired forward pack or a disorganised defensive line. Took it out of play, made them work from set scrum situations and then kicked a field goal at the back end of the game. I thought he played a really solid, um, great leader's role. An old school Peter Sterling, little general sort of role where, you know, the halfback isn't the fastest player on the field, not the biggest or the strongest, but he's the smarts of the team. And I thought there was a lot of smarts about the way that Michael Morgan went about his work. An opportunity now because the Dogs game is a game that North Queensland will be expected to win. They have a chance to go back-to-back and ignite their season on the back of that success against the Warriors. You know, I watched uh, Canberra host Brisbane in the Gold Coast airport with the one and only Michael Ennis uh, now on the coaching staff down there at the Raiders and uh, at one stage he said to me I, I want Joey to carry the ball more I want Leilua to have more uh, tuck it under the arm and go so he sent a text through to the coach's box a few minutes later oh, Joseph Leilua stop it pours onto the ball to use your expression He's strings. and goes over to score and the menace <laughs> claims it <laughs> anyway, I'll give him that one. Well done, Mick. Uh, Did he show you the text? No. Was he fitting? And, and that instruction might have already gone out by Ricky Stewart. But I tell you what, it was interesting riding that game with a member of the Canberra coaching staff sitting to my uh, right. I had a big red welt on my back <laughs> as he slapped me as they went over for different tries. And uh, the Raiders, they're in that uh, bracket of teams with five wins, one loss. Congratulations to all involved because uh, haven't they started superbly? And John Bateman just gets better and better. And there he is on nine Dally M points behind Cam Munster with 11. What a start in his rookie NRL season from the Englishman. Just um, so much to like about what they're doing at the moment with the Fab Four down there. They're all playing well. Josh Hodgson um, has been there for a bunch of seasons now and he's just you know dealing out of dummy half and um, Bateman, Sutton, Whitehead uh, just do what they do. Um, the Poms have always had great forwards. Recently, the Tigers had Gareth Ellis. Mm. Uh, the Bunnies have had the Burgess boys for a long time now as well. And you could go through them over the years. But my goodness, they they are you know as outside of the grand finalists from last year, and perhaps the Bunnies who were a chance to be grand finalists last year. The team who has emerged from the pack, and will you know maybe we thought maybe the Newcastle Knights could be one of those teams who could develop and become a, a contender potentially in 2019. Um, but they have been the team who expected to do good things and have lived up to the advanced billing. And there's a bit of hype, and there should be a bit of hype, and there should be a bit of excitement down there in Canberra, given the way they've played these these first few weeks. And in the weeks ahead, uh, they're on the road against the Seagulls in round seven. They've got the Panthers in round eight. Then in round nine, they take on the Roosters up there at Suncorp Stadium at the Magic Round at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. That'll be a blockbuster. That's mm. one of the Sunday afternoon games. That'll be a great way to finish out what should be an intriguing and exciting weekend of footy in Brisbane. The Raiders and the Roosters now on the horizon is is a blockbuster. I can't wait for Magic Round. All eight games at Suncorp Stadium. And there was a magic night in the gong in terms of a good game of footy was. Uh, not a high-scoring or, or highlight-laden game, but... 
it's a good game to expand on a point you made during the week. We know we've spoken previously about the fact that the number of tries being scored are down, and you made the worthy point that doesn't that make the goal kickers even more important? Well, for through the first three games this round, uh, the kickers were perfect. We didn't have one miss at goal uh, until we arrived at the early game on Saturday where Harris Tavita came up with a miss. And then into the second game, Tim Laffey, two of five for the Dragons. Now, he dodged a bullet because he missed some goals that he could have thrown over and he should have kicked. And then he was the man who backed his way into the chasing Manly Seagulls, Ruben Garrick, and should have been pinged for the penalty. So Tim Laffey, his team won 12-10. I don't think there was any more relieved Dragon on Sunday morning than Tim Laffey because two of five, it's not going to be good enough in the modern game. Oh, not, not if, if tries keep shrinking as uh, they have done again this year and, and the past four seasons, tries have gone down from where they were the previous season. And again, at the moment, I know I made this point, I think after round one um, in 2019, but, you know, tries are shrinking. Uh, at the moment, we're on track to have just over 1,200 tries scored in 2019 if things stay the way they have been through the first six rounds. Now, six rounds is a, a large enough sample to suggest that, you know, defences continue to, to evolve and get better. And Wayne Bennett alluded to this off the back of the game between the Rabbitohs and the Bulldogs on Good Friday afternoon where he just thought the game was ruined by players laying in tackles and taking forever to get off, off you know, men uh, tackled. And the wrestle on the ground was out of control and the referees weren't prepared to do what he thought they should have done and blow the whistle more. Now, there were 20 penalties in that game. The penalty count was 12-8. So it wasn't as if it was, you know, 3-2 or 5-4, the penalty count. There were still a number of penalties in that game, but there's no doubt the, the referees trying to let the game flow and this is always a chance of happening. We spoke about this early in the season. There's a real chance that the game doesn't flow as well as you would like it to because the players will just take it to the whatever degree they can before the you know, the referee finally says, okay, I've had enough. I, I have to blow the whistle at some stage. Mm. That's a penalty. But they'll get pushed and they'll get pushed and, and teams will jump offside. There's suggestions that the Seagulls, part of the way that Des Hasler has got them going in 2019 with their three wins is they just jump offside and they'll just keep jumping offside until... The referee blows the whistle and finally pulls them up. But, you know, you'll you'll take as many um, liberties as you possibly can if it means you win. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. You do what you can to win. And if it's perceived that you're, you know, not playing the game in the spirit, well, that's just bad luck. Yeah. You do what you can to win. And if you're a coach, you do what you can to win. Wayne Bennett's in a situation where he's safe. If didn't, things didn't end well in Brisbane. He's at the back end of his career. He's made his name. He's the super coach. He's won all the premierships. It doesn't, you know, he's he's not under any pressure at all, especially when they're five and one to start the season. So he can say whatever he wants to say. Mm. And he said, "I don't want to get fined ten thousand dollars." So he was even Wayne Bennett was a bit uh, careful with the way he he couched things off the back of that win against the Bulldogs on Good Friday afternoon. But there's no doubt he's right. You know, it's one thing to say let the game flow, but players are going to take liberties and and. The reason tries are shrinking again. Well, not not the players. The fifth season in a row. Their coaches well, instructing the players. Right. Now, don't be too fast up here, boys. They're showing a hesitancy to blow the whistle. So let's milk that. Yeah. You know, and as I, long I, as when we do have a high penalty game, because players are all over the tackle, player offside repeatedly, and we do have a high penalty game. I don't want to hear. Oh, the referees have lost it. They've gone back to their old ways. Well, no, they're trying to find a medium here. We've gone too far. 
the coach's way. Now the game needs to wrestle back some authority. Yeah, because yesterday was a you know an extreme example because it was fifty-one to six. Yeah, but tries aren't a bad thing. Tries are exciting, and I guarantee you. You know, one of the criticisms of Super Rugby in the past and rugby union in general is that the teams, you know, it was a penalty sh- goal shootout. Whoever kicked mm. the most penalty goals won. The, it was like a World Cup soccer final. Whoever kicks most penalty goals wins the game. Well, you know, for a long while, and it may still be the case, I'm not a, across the rugby scene as maybe as, as I once was, and I haven't ever really been across it to, you know, call myself anything like an expert in it. But, you know, one of the big criticisms of the game was not enough tries were scored and it wasn't a great spectacle as a result. And maybe... That is still borne out because it, the game has shrunk as as far as a, you know, a, a compelling entertainment product. Yeah. If we go too far the way we're headed, if like if say we go the next three or four seasons and this trend continues, where we lose fifty to sixty tries per season overall, at what point? Will it be like a it's, something has to happen here? And I, you know, we I tossed up the idea. Not that I was tossing it up as an alternative, but I mentioned that trial a bunch of years ago, uh, where Warren Ryan convinced the NRL in an under twenties game to play eleven versus eleven in a, in, in a, what was an, an official game. So I mean, that's an extreme example, quite obviously. And there's no way the NRL is going to be eleven versus eleven at any time in the foreseeable future. No, but, it might be six interchanges. But, well, there might be whatever it might be. Um, but some, something will happen and the referees are at the coalface and they carry the can. Mm. And if it's the referees who are under, you know, Wayne Bennett in a way is saying the refs aren't doing the job I think they should be doing because they're not, you know, pulling that up and, and saying that play the ball was too slow or you jumped the gun there yeah. on the on the defensive line. So um, they are at the, at the hub of it all. You've got... The, the NRL with one ideal of what they would like the game to be. Then on the other side of it, you've got the teams, the coaches and the players um, implementing what they see and trying to find ways, best ways to, to use win. those rules to win. And at the middle of it all, the guys, you know, under all the pressure with both these sides pushing together, they're the meat and the sandwich. The referees have to try and find the best way to play their part yeah. in producing the best product on the field. And it's it's a really... Tough job. That, that's right. The game is here to say let's make it as appealing, as watchable, as popular as possible. The other side, only priority. Their only priority is to win. And then in the middle, you're right, the referees. But uh, w- while we love seeing tries scored, was can I just take you back to Saturday night in the gong again? There were, was a passage where the Dragons' line speed was awesome and it was the best uh, – Aggressive defence without being literally aggressive. That was smashing. That, 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 that outstanding. And Manly, to their credit, found a way to get out of trouble three sets in a row where they looked like being pinned on their own ten. Yeah. Um, it, and that's to me, that's what made that game so good. Not necessarily the tries. And you know, we had twenty-four points score, but it was still a, it was a great game. And it know? doesn't mean you know low-scoring games can't be tight and gripping, exactly, and great entertainment in themselves, but. You know, you'll have some low-scoring games like that game between the Dragons and the Seagulls, which was, you know, you couldn't turn away from the TV. I don't know you could say the same about the Rabbitohs and the Bulldogs on Good Friday. That, was, that wasn't a great entertainment no. product. So the interesting times coming up in the weeks ahead as to how the game will be refereed and how much pressure is brought to bear by both sides, the, the, the teams the coaches in particular, and the NRL on the other side and the way they would like to see the game go. And back to your original point, 
is the extra pressure on kickers. If, if that's the way it's going to go, if tries continue to, to dry up, then there's more pressure on kickers. I go back to the Tigers and the Panthers, a game I called. Isan Mars has missed um, all three attempts he had that mm. night, a penalty and two conversion attempts. Any one of them would have won the game for the Tigers. Two of the kicks were very kickable. By you know any if you call yourself a top line kicker if you're the first choice kicker in your team, he had to kick one of those first uh, two penalty go- or either the penalty goal he missed and also one of the conversions they were both very kickable, you know ten meters to the side of the post and he, he missed a couple of chances there to to get the Tigers a win there so you know there's an example and a tight that was a nine eight scoreline. Um, that was th- that's an example where kicking did cost a team a win. I've got no question about that. If you put a kicker, any kicker in the league in one of those awkward positions, I don't know, 15 in from touch, 25 out, you know, not from the sideline, not in front, but, but that area that's regarded as being tricky and was kicking for your life and you had to nominate one right here, right now, was I'll give you mine. Uh, I'd go with Nathan Cleary. As I, as I yeah, see it well. now, but because of the way he's handled a couple of clutch moments this season. I, you know, Michael Gordon's really good as well. But over to you. Who would you nominate? Who would you have? Uh, to kick, to save Warren I, Smith from the gallows. I think I mentioned this. Didn't I it's got to go over. Not think, field goals. No. Just, penalties or conversions. I said Cameron Smith the other week, I'm pretty sure, because he's a okay. Smith to begin with. Okay. That's got a lot going for him in my book straight okay. away. So you've got Cam Smith. He's one of the clan. With his two um, kids on the field watching? Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, yeah, 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 righto. With Matilda and Jasper and Jada, get all three of them out there and they can all watch Dad kick. Um, just while we're talking, uh, well, let's actually, let's jump ahead to the games in round seven and run mm. through and I'll, I'll get to a point I was about to make um, when we get to that particular game. Roosters and Dragons uh, kick it off at the SCG on Anzac Day, the first of the two games, the now traditional games on Anzac Day. Um, it's hard, as good as the Dragons have been in recent weeks, winning four on the trot, but it's hard to go past the Roosters at the moment, isn't it? Winnings form is even, good form. Even without maybe Luke Keery, can you... Does that change your mind? No, nah, no, no. I'd stick with the Roosters. But what what a way to set it up was. SCG, weather predicted to be good on that Thursday afternoon. The Anzac Day spirit flowing through the occasion. Roosters winning five in a row. Dragons four in a row. If the grand old lady isn't near full, there's something wrong. You'll be there with that one. I'll be down at Melbourne to see the Storm take on the Warriors and the Storm. Now, I've caught a couple of these games in recent times and the Storm have belted. The Warriors, yeah. a couple of occasions on Anzac night. Um, Blake Green should play. He trained yesterday and trained play. well, you, you but would no Fusatua. Yeah, David Fusatua won't be available. That's a big loss, and he was a loss the other night as well. And and he, along with um, Kemba Marlow, one of the re- or two of the reasons why they haven't been as good, the Warriors, th- th- mm. they've scored, I think, you know, four tries between them in the opening um, six rounds now, and they way, they are way down on whether that's what that's more what's happening inside them, creating chances for them to score. No Sean Johnson. David Fusatua and no Sean Johnson dancing across the face of defensive lines and threatening to step through holes. And Melbourne he, was. He was tremendous. Johnson um, in that win against the yeah. Panthers on all the way back, it seems like a, it's almost a week ago now, um, in that second half and that comeback with the Sharks against the Panthers. I'm going to take the Storm at home to uh, maybe accommodate for the Warriors again, perhaps, potentially. Uh, pretty easily. Um, Friday night, Dogs and Cowboys. Uh, you're calling this one. Yep. First of two games on Friday night. Um, Cowboys off the back of that win. Um, you know, I, I can see them coming to town on the road and, and getting past the Bulldogs, who are still still not entirely sure of what to expect from the Bulldogs when they go around. I think what we're going to expect from the Bulldogs is a lot of ticker, a lot of fight. Like they really tried the other day against South Sydney, but we're left just a little short. And uh, 
North Queensland off the back of travelling to Auckland should come back and win it. Interesting point, really quickly, Canterbury South. At one stage, I heard Brenton Speed ask the commentary panel, eight the difference, the dogs get a penalty within kicking range. Do you take the two to go within a converted try or make a converted try the difference or try and score the try? I was on Speedo side. I, I think if the points are there, take the two, get it back to six the difference, scoreboard pressure and all that. What about you, Was? It just depends, I think, on the flow of the game and the situation. I'm with you. I think, you know, numerically, obviously, just get it back to six. And then, then we you get the ball again, back. Get the ball back. It just depends on if it's a penalty where I think maybe um, you've had a bit of possession in a row. Yeah, like I think third set on their yeah, line. If, if you've had a couple of goal line dropouts or a penalty and then, yeah, a goal line dropout and then another penalty perhaps – Sometimes I think you're inclined to go for it because you feel like you can crack them there and maybe grab that least four, if not six. If it's maybe if it's just a, a one-off penalty out of in the arm wrestle, it's back and forth mm. between the twenties. Sometimes maybe you just think, well, let's yeah, just take the two. We're in the arm wrestle anyway, and just get the ball back at our end and go from there. I think it's just a, you know, it's just it's a very rubbery situation. Yeah. I can't I can't be critical of any team who doesn't take the two, and I can't be critical of anyone who decides to take the two. I would have taken the two. You open yourself up to second-guessing quite obviously if you if you take the two and then you you, know, you put the ball down on the next set to go. Well, you put yeah. yourself under pressure, bringing it out yeah. from your own end. But, you know, if you score a try, you're under that pressure anyway and you're still two behind. The exact same scenario could play out. So, yeah, it's one of those ones. Um, yeah, it's a bit like short going short on the goal line dropout. I I'm, believe you should go short pretty much all the time. I think the numbers prove that, you, you know, overall – you're better off if you get the ball back. And I don't think you give away that many more tries over the course of a season than you do going long. But, it, you know, if you, you only, it only takes a couple of short ones and the team scores, the fans are howling and the pressure brings to bear that, that the coach says, oh, OK, let's just go back and be a bit more conservative and, and kick it long. I want our stats department to give us a number count on short goal line dropouts and kickoffs compared with previous seasons at each uh, stage in coming weeks so we can draw a parallel. And also, again, I'm, I'm uh, getting off the track. Four penalty tries already this season, and we're only six rounds in. I wonder how many we'll have by the end of the season. Yeah, I think – well, I think it's fairly established now. Like, it, you know, it's changed dramatically over what used to be – over the years, like what used to be a penalty try and what is now considered to be a penalty try. But I think we've got a pretty good feel – yeah, well, it's been fa- a couple in recent times. Um, the fallacy was the referees had to know it was going to be a try. No, it's always said the referee has to be of an opinion that a try would have been scored. Yeah. Well, the Panthers have given away two in two weeks mm. and very similar situations. One against the Sharks, one the week before as well against the Gold Coast Titans. And uh, having seen the one the week before against the Titans, well, the one against the Sharks was a no-brainer. It had yeah. to be a penalty try and was it was duly awarded as such, speaking of the Panthers, they take on the uh, Rabbitohs and the second game on Friday night. Uh, neither of you or I involved in commentary in that game. Neither is ne- Dean Farray out with that hamstring injury uh, in the centres for Penrith. Does that change it much for you, Was? Uh, no, I was probably always going to be on deciding the way of the Rabbitohs in that game. And I think that, you know, nothing I've seen would change my mind in regards to a tip there. I- I'm going with Penrith, the home team, because... South Sydney's form, yes, they've been winning, but, you know, they weren't overly impressive against yeah. Canterbury. They weren't uh, – they had to rely on Cody Walker's four tries before that against the Warriors. I, I want a little more from South Sydney. I just think the desperate Panthers at home have too much to play for and might be able to expose some uh, uh, 
less than perfect form from South. So Panthers for me. Yeah, they'll need to improve in a bunch of areas, won't they? They are down. They, they've lost the magic of Matt Moylan and, and Tyrone Peachy and haven't found mm. a way to replace it. I think that's the thing, I think, for me, that little bit of X factor that Peachy brought, um, especially in the second half of games, and also Matt Moylan, I think they haven't found a way to replace that, and it's hurting... Uh, the Panthers at the moment. The Tigers and the Titans. Uh, the Tigers again take a game to Scully Park up there at Tamworth last year. It was the Knights. This time it's the Titans. Wow, what a week it is for the Tigers. Short turnaround. They play on Saturday, only a five-day turnaround. The Titans um, are suddenly a different prospect to the team that started the season winning, losing their first four games. Pack your golden guitars for this one. And who will be strumming the right tunes here was, I, I'd go with West Tigers because the bounce back, the, the short turnaround, that'll, that'll suit them. They don't want to think about yesterday too much. And Gold Coast, no Jared Wallace, probably no Ryan James for the rest of the season with a few other injury concerns. Uh, I just think that West Tigers uh, bounce back and win. Yeah, again, this game is God's way of telling you, if you're betting on rugby league, it's God's way of telling you this, you've got way too much money. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, I find it tough to beat, tip a team that just got beaten by 45 points in a 51-6 scoreline, um, despite the Titans' injuries. You know, uh, toss a coin. Um, I'll say, I'm going to say the Titans. I think the Titans will get the cash there. Okay. And they make it three wins on the trot, which would be something off the back of four straight losses yeah. to begin 2019. Team's under pressure, oh. and um, back at home, the Broncos take on the Sharks at Suncorp Stadium. I'm calling this one. I can't wait to call it because I think it's a fascinating game mm. uh, given the Sharks, the way they came back um, against the Panthers on Thursday night last week. The Broncos, one and five. Uh, their coach, Anthony Seabold, believes they are just a shandy away from producing some of their best form. They're only on, they are a shandy away they're a shandy away from being in last place. Yeah. Well, there's a group of it's, teams. It's for and against only that stops them from being in 16th position after six rounds of the season. And we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when they were one and three with the run they had coming up where they took on the Tigers and then the Raiders away, Sharks at home, then they've got the Rabbitohs away in that four-game stretch. And we said there was a real chance they could maybe, you know, potentially win one of three again as they started the season in the first month. One win, three losses. I said, if they go one win, three losses again, they'll be two and six after two months of the season. Well, there's a chance they lose all four and they're one and seven. Now, there's a chance they win a couple of games back to back and they get their season started. But it won't be easy against the Sharks, no. who are only going to get better, I think, as, as the weeks go on and they get players back from injury. And that won't help them in this game, obviously. But they showed a little bit of ticker on... Well, we, we know the Sharks are just chock full of ticker. They've proven that over a bunch of seasons. They'll be a tough opponent up there on the road at Suncorp Stadium. And then the Broncos take on the Rabbitohs the week after that. Then they've got Manly, who are playing really solid, gritty... Tough footy, as you witnessed down there at Wollongong the other night. Then they play the Roosters. I mean, the next month again for the Broncos is a is a tough one. And they need wins in a hurry because you can't win the comp in April. But, boy, you can lose the comp. And already at 1-5, and five, here's the pure mass of it. To get to 12-12, and 12, which for a long while there meant you got a game in the finals. Well, it didn't go close to getting a game in the finals last year. But 12-12 12 and 12 right now means they have to win 11 of their remaining 18. Mm. They've got to go 11 and 7. Now, there'll be good teams who won't do that 
in the remainder of this competition. So right now they're under pressure to win 11 of their remaining 18. That's just to get back to 12 wins, 12 losses. And maybe if the teams at the top, we've got four teams already at five and one, there's a bunch of teams now at three wins, three losses, maybe 12 wins, you might need 13. So if it's 13, the Broncos would have to win, um, uh, sorry, 12 of their next 18 games, 12 and six that's a that's a sixty six percent win rate over the remainder of the it, as you can see, it's tough already for the Broncos. And then you throw in their opponents in the next month. They need something. If they are one and three of their next four games, it's all over. They won't factor in the finals, and they would be out of contention. For, for half the season, and that is remarkable. It is. They're under pressure, no doubt, and they've got injury and suspension woes still to deal with. It's one of these games where I'm going to wait and follow the player injury update and player health tracking reports through the week because one of my favourite players early this season so far to watch has been Britton Nakora. Of all the newcomers or, or players who we haven't seen a lot, he has been fantastic. Now, he picked up an injury, a back injury. He did really well to finish the game the other night. And, uh, you know, if, if he's fit, it might just sway me Cronulla's way. Mm-hmm. If, if Brisbane miraculously get Matt Lodge back, it might sway me Brisbane's way. On paper, it's so hard to pick up. I'm going to follow it during the week. I don't know. I don't know who's going to win this. Broncos get Pangai. He'll come back from his two-game suspension. Yep. So that will make a difference for them quite obviously. But... You know, again, it's a really tough call, this game, uh, and a massive game for the Broncos and Anthony Seabold, and he believes they're, they're close to... And they were close at times against the, the Raiders over the weekend on Sunday, but, you know, you can be close, and it's still an L next to that game, and they've had five Ls and only one W so far. So they need something in a hurry and a big couple of weeks. It's not a big, big month coming up for the Broncos. The only place to see it, Fox League was. That's right. Saturday night, it will be an absolute cracker and you'd expect a big crowd there at Suncorp Stadium with the locals, all the fans up there in Brizzy getting behind the Bronx. Sunday, Seagulls up against the Raiders. This one over there at Brookvale. Um, The Raiders are doing it beautifully at the moment. They'll be warm favourites to win that game, but... As the Seagulls proved um, in their last home game at Brookvale against the Rabbitohs, and again they were almost got the cash against the uh, the Dragons, and they'll feel aggrieved that they didn't get the penalty at the end of the game to give themselves a potential to maybe win that one, perhaps in Golden Point. Well, they'll be tough to beat at home. Um, it'll be a great game. You'll see that again live exclusively on Fox League. It's a tough one to pick, isn't it? Canberra in great form, Manly showing uh, some form that plenty of people, myself included, did not predict. Under Des Hasler, they're doing really well. Um, Manly could cause an upset here, an upset in terms of beating a team that's only dropped one game so far this season. But uh, I'll, I'll stick with the Raiders. Yep, I think the Raiders is in that sort of form. We've got that look about them, that little bit of, you know, when you see Joey Leilua do what he did to burst through a couple of tackles, um, fend away from Anthony Milford, uh, Darius Boyd couldn't wrap him up. He was able to get past... Uh, uh, Jack Bird as well. I mean, you know, he's a special talent. At his best, he's a, he is a special talent uh, for all his um, faults over the years as far as his discipline and his attitude to games. And there's been times where I've got no doubt he has certainly cost them games. Um, but he can be a match winner. And uh, he showed that against the Broncos. And if they're playing anywhere near their best, I think they probably get the cash over there at Brookvale. The final game, uh, you're up there, McDonald Jones Stadium, the Knights mm. against the Eels. We mentioned how big a game it is for Nathan Brown and Parramatta. Um, I guess hard to go past them at the moment, given what they showed against the Tigers. I can't believe that. Uh, I think so far I've tipped a team that got beaten 51-6 to win 
the following weekend. I'm about to tip a team that won 51-6 to get beaten the following week. Can you believe that was? What sort of rationale? How does my brain work? Um, uh, I just I, think I, desperate I, men hang do on, there's desperate There's a couple things. of people in white coats walking in. They've got a SADA written on their left uh, pocket. Yeah. Um, and they've got some test tubes. Yeah. They'd like you to do something. Too long in the uh, Fig Tree like Hotel. Provi- uh, you provide a sample. <laughs> I think the boys from Asada have got some concerns uh, with I, you. I just think, I just think that the desperate nature of Newcastle's predicament might see them perform in front of their home crowd and, and maybe the, the come down after that magnificent performance, that magnificent theatre at Bank West will uh, leave the eels a little flat for Nathan Brown's men to pounce and maybe uh, help their coach out. Uh, Have I sold you? Yeah, uh, no, no. <laughs> I'm contemplating all of that, trying to think, find a way that I could agree with you, but I can't. Um, I think the Eels, are, you know, the Knights, until the Knights show something. Okay. Well, they've suddenly become, I think at times in, in seasons, teams are untippable until you sh- they show you something. And the Knights at the moment are going, well, they're the, they're the worst team in the comp. They are. I yep. mean, the Bulldogs are playing better footy than them. Uh, the Broncos, even though they're one and five also, they're much more of a chance of winning games at the moment than the Knights are. And until they show you that they can actually beat somebody, um, you can tip against them. I, my theory is, and I think the Eels will win and maybe win handsomely. And that would be um, disastrous for the Knights and also potentially for Nathan Brown, who, um, yeah, the, the screws are tightening up mm. there. There's no doubt about that um, for all... Um, yeah, everybody who likes Nathan Brown is a great rugby league uh, personality and probably a pretty good coach, as we mentioned earlier on. But uh, unfortunately, that's the reality of the situation. Um, should their pressure come to bear and they decide to make a change, I don't know who they go with, but there are plenty of candidates. But it's a big call. You know, I'm always critical of teams jumping the gun too early and pulling the trigger and saying, hey, you know, we... we we're going to make a change here sometimes in the case. That's why I was happy to go into bat for both Dean Pay, given the situations the Bulldogs got themselves in over mm. the past couple of years. It was ridiculous. And, and I thought you know what? Pay I, was I, under any sort of pressure. And, and likewise, Paul McGregor. Now, I know Paul McGregor overall, his record, given his seasons, is you know, barely over 50% win-loss ratio. But have you got a better option? I think the bloke's entitled to see the, see his mm. tenure or see his part. You know, in two years' time... If they haven't delivered, then given he's got the team he now wants, um, I think, you know, you'd say, okay, he's had a fair crack at it. But I think he was due a couple of seasons to try and um, finish off the job. And maybe if, you know, if the Dragons go well over the next couple of seasons, now you can argue what's what's well. What what does that mean? Does it make in the finals? They've made the finals and they've collapsed at the back end of seasons. I think they'll be... You know, they're still obviously missing Jack DeBell and the Dragons, but mm. you know, coaches um, come under pressure pretty quickly these days. It's the nature of the beast. And, you know, if you're going to make a call in the next, you know, say say six weeks' time, if the Knights really are limping through their way through 2019, then um, they probably will make a change. But you go, who do you throw in? Well, that's it. Does our mate Danny Badiris finish off the season as caretaker coach for a second time? <laughs> He's done that does, previously. Does, does, does that happen? I don't, does Danny... I don't know whether Danny be th- falling over himself to fill that role. I don't think he really wants to. I think he sort of had a look at it and, you know, he's very happy doing what he does with us at Fox League and also with New South Wales and the setup there. But, of um, course, when the Knights win this weekend, this issue will go away. That's exactly right. When they put 50 on the Eels, <laughs> won't be an issue. Jeez, if they win it and put 50 on, then, yeah, I'll, I'll provide a sample for a start. <laughs> Righto. Okay, it's been good chatting. Enjoy the weekend, mate. Can't wait. Round seven and Anzac. 
day. Yep. What, what, what a great day it's going to be on yeah, Fox Yeah, happy League. that you're at the SCG. I'll be in Melbourne where they always do a, a fantastic presentation and under lights in the darkness of, of Amy Park. It's a very special moment, as it is in the broad daylight of the SCG back at the, the grand old lady for Anzac Day, the Roosters and the Dragons, like it was in the old days when I was a young bloke growing up and Anzac Day was always at the SCG. So it'll be pretty special. Can't wait for both those games and the other six as well. Enjoy round seven. We'll see you next week. Right here in the pod.